Welcome to the FE Research Podcast, a podcast that aims to showcase the practitioner inquiry, scholarship and research being carried out within further education. You know, I have a little post-it by my desk and it says, doubt kills more dreams than failure ever will. So just don't let that doubt come in, you know, you can do it. Um, and I think having Having a buddy, a research buddy is really helpful. So somebody to talk to, to offload to and, and share, you know, the any issues that you might be having in your research. Hello and welcome to the FE Research Podcast. My name is Joe Fletcher Saxon and my partner in crime is It's Alistair Smith. Hello, Joe. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm not too bad today. Thank you very much. Have you noticed I've reverted to calling you my partner in crime? I've noticed again, yeah. It was I, I, it was partner in crime, then it was partner in podcasting, and now it's back to partner in crime, isn't it? I'm not I'm not sure what <laughs> I don't know what that means. Maybe it means something. Okay. Uh, well, today I have brought you not one guest, but two, Alistair. Two. Excellent. So, yeah. So we've got um, two researchers with us today. I'm going to do, well, should we say, we'll just say hello first. Hello, Heather. Hello, Tracy. Hello. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think you both said it at the same time there. So, but we, yeah, we did hear you. Okay. I'm going to do some little uh, introductions, say a bit about you both. So Heather is a teacher educator and advanced practitioner at a college in uh, North Yorkshire, or is it West? No, it might be West Yorkshire. It's in Yorkshire. Um, she has taught in FE for over 30 years and she is currently studying for her Ed D. So that's her doctorate in education. Um, she's studying part time. And Tracy describes herself as a dual professional. Um, she's an FE business lecturer, marketing consultant, business trainer, coach, and mentor. And most recently, she's added to her, well, she says CV, but I think to her identity. A practitioner researcher because she's on the sunset program which we spoke about on the podcast before so welcome again thanks for joining us and you know I'm going to hand straight over to Alistair who's going to begin with some questions okay well um welcome to both of you and we're going to get stuck straight in with um with the first topic here because uh, I understand that you've both been doing a little bit of work on imposter syndrome um, and I'm interested to, to know a little bit about this. So um, uh, Tracy, I don't know if you want to, to start with that one and then we can invite Heather in to, to answer that as well. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's something perhaps surprisingly that most of us, even if we're not aware, suffer from. I think suffer from is the right terminology, Heather, would you agree? Yes, there is some controversy about that term, isn't there? But but um, you you experience it, maybe you might say. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and, and make certain decisions, or rather, don't make certain decisions, be, because of this the curse or the gremlin, as I like to call it, of the imposter syndrome. Um, I don't even remember how Heather and I started talking about this, um, but we did, and we were fascinated. To know more. So we both invested in a book which we would highly recommend, which is The Imposter Cure by Dr. Jessamy Hibbard. Um, it's a fantastic book. And we did a little bit of research in the FE sector, and then we wrote about it for Joy FE. 
And more recently, we've been hosting some workshops um, on the subject too, which I have never, given my background of marketing, I have never been involved in any event where the spaces have gone so quickly. <laughs> Just remarkable. Yes, yeah, it, it has been phenomenal, actually, the, the interest uh, in the topic. Um, I think, Tracy, you mentioned that you'd like to do some research and, and I said, oh, can I join you? Because I was really interested in it, um, something that I've experienced uh, most of my life and, and that's why we were working together. And, and you did a survey on Twitter, I think, didn't you? Uh I did. And yes, and just to say, we now come as a double act wherever we go. <laughs> we will never be separated. Um, I did. Um, we had a very good response. And if I may, can I just share some of those findings quickly, Alistair? Oh, yeah, please do. Please do. So I'm going to rattle these off. Uh, 74% of respondents had feelings of self-doubt. 54 percent compare themselves to others and find themselves lacking 52 percent to find it difficult to accept compliments that might be a british thing as well i'm not sure um 47 percent are constantly striving to achieve perfectionism and just a few more 39 percent have a fear of being found out 34 percent feel very threatened by intelligence or the competence of others and lastly 21% feel success is due to luck or a fluke. So this is really interesting. And then Heather did some more research on the back of um, the findings from our, you know, our poll on Twitter. Yeah, so I, I was, um, well, reading um, Jessamy Hibbard's book uh, and some other sources. Um, Oliver Burtman has written quite a, quite a lot about this topic. Um, and Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imis, I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce um, Suzanne's name. Um, but it, it's this sort of... Um, faulty um, view of yourself um, and it's sort of based on um, beliefs that are, are laid down um, in childhood and, and during those teenage years those beliefs of not being good enough and, and that then becomes that sort of script that you have of yourself um, and if people uh, pay you compliments for example um, you you tend not to believe them and discount any any success that you have. So it becomes a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy, if you like. It's quite interesting that you say that about um, how we pick these up from, from obviously being children and teenagers. So although I'm guessing you're looking at the sector, I'm assuming there's information that we can take on board into the classrooms as well to help build some of that self-worth in, in the younger people that we work with as well. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Would you agree, Heather? Yes, definitely. Uh, it would be really um, useful to share, you know, what we've learned and, and what is out there with young people um, and to try and help them to get rid of that self-doubt and, and those gremlins um, that can actually lead to things like perfectionism and procrastination and, and maybe just missing out on opportunities um, in your career that you may not apply for um, because you have that nagging self-doubt there. It's really interesting that you say that, Heather, and your kind of choice of language fits with um, 
a feature of many kind of tutorials any of my students might recognize where we'll talk about the self-doubt monster creeping in um and you you sort of talked about the self-doubt and the gremlin and, and there's a bit of a similarity there so it it is important i think that that they can recognize um when when they're placing that self-doubt there i think it still works sometimes to help move people forward but they have to recognize the barrier do you think Yes. Yeah. It's about, I think once you're aware of it, then you can um, put strategies into place um, to be able to sort of remove those roadblocks, if you like. So one of the things that we did in the workshop was to um, ask the participants to think about everything that they had done well in the last six months. Um, and if they were their own best friend, what, what would they say to them? You know, what praise would they give them for those achievements? Oh, that's, I'm just, just going to jump in there, Alistair, because I think the three, three of us, I've not shared it with you yet, have been listening to the latest podcast from Brené Brown. Have you have you listened, Tracy, Heather? I haven't. Um, oh, no. Ah, well, she's she's still pretty much the same thing. She's um, I think I think it's about toxic positivity, isn't it? And emotional agility. I was going to think yes. it then agility, and but that's one of the strategies they talk about is is um, if um, you know, another person, your friend or something, was in the room, what would they say to you? So she actually uses that strategy. Yeah. Oh, well, she must have nicked it from us, Heather. I think she yeah. did. <laughs> <laughs> she did. You're right up there with Brené Brown. Oh. Oh, sorry, sorry, Alistair. Go on. You I, I just on. had one thing, which I think is mm. really important. And I, I, um, actually, you made me think of this, Alistair. I have always said to students, I talk to them about the language that they use and how, uh, not just how they speak, but what they think and how that actually then informs um, our own vision of ourselves. So I encourage them throughout the time that I'm with them to be really aware of the language that they're using. And that there's one real pet hate. I start off each course saying, I don't really get angry. But if I hear you saying, I can't, I'm likely to jump up and down quite a bit. <laughs> so they know that, um, not that we've got to be positive polys the whole time, but it's really important. The minute you, you think it's seemingly, you know, innocuous. So, oh, I can't do that or I'm rubbish. And actually what you are literally doing, and there is research to back this up, is telling yourself, um, feeding your neuro pathways with I am rubbish, etc., mm. which is terrifying when you stop to think about it. Yeah, I yeah, sorry, oh. I can't help but jump. I know it's your section, Alistair. I can't help but keep jumping in. And the, what I was going to say is, it's about having the language and the words, and that's another Brené thing, isn't it? And once you have the words to describe, um, let's say the opposite of that, that I can or I can, whatever it is, that that you're so much better at um, being able to identify what's going on inside yourself. So, yeah, and you can um, I. At the moment, I teach apprentices, and, and it's not uncommon for them to say in conversation or in, in some of our discussions, I'm just an apprentice. Mm. So you're immediately devaluing um, your position within the department and your contributions and so on and so forth, because, you know, I'm just. And they giggle a bit, but, you know, I, I, I get them to say out loud, <laughs> I'm an apprentice. Here is where I work, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. And it feels a bit 
awkward to begin with because they're so used to being in the mindset of thinking, oh, I'm, I'm just an, I'm only, I'm only an apprentice, which is perhaps even worse. I agree with you there, Tracy, and I'll put my hands up here and say that I was pulled up on saying I'm just uh, something earlier on in the meeting and, and somebody um, challenged me on it. And it's quite nice to, to have the challenge because sometimes it just reminds us to change the language we use about ourselves as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Those positive affirmations. I was just reading this morning um, about how projection becomes our perception so so just agreeing with you there Tracy so how you project yourself becomes how you see yourself Um, and so it's seeing yourself in a positive light we should share our examples quickly Heather if if we go if we could be indulged we shared two of our own examples of imposter syndrome I love yours Heather (laughs) well um i I this is an example of when I managed to banish the imposter syndrome. And it's when I got a, a place in the London Marathon 14 years ago. Um, and I, I'd never run a half marathon marathon at that point. Um, and so my instant thought was, I can't do it. But, but somehow I managed to turn it around. Um, and it was about having a very clear goal uh, of what I wanted to achieve. In other words, you know, to get round um, in one piece within a, I didn't set myself a a very tight time, Um, but also having a very clear plan of how to get there. And my goodness, I stuck to that training plan like there was no tomorrow. Um, And I did it. And I never, I never questioned it that I would be able to do it. I just had complete self-belief all the way through. Do you think the reward of doing that, Heather, was a big part of banishing some of that um, imposter syndrome going forward with other things? Yes, because I, th- I think it, it's that marathon mindset, um, which you think, well, I've done that. So how can I apply that to other aspects of, of my life and my work? Definitely. Yeah, my my um, my brother runs ultra marathons and, and uh, he says that most of it's all about the the mindset and and controlling things in his head and he's found that ever since he's achieved some ridiculous distances running that now he feels he can achieve almost anything in life so i i can understand that as as a great example as well yeah i would definitely say it's at least 80 percent uh in in the mind um running a marathon and ultra marathon yes my goodness respect to your brother (laughs) (laughs) yeah bit of a crazy one um but uh, obviously not a family trait <laughs> so, um, just just um to, to sort of segue uh, on to something else here tracy so um i'm going to mention the sunset practitioner research program but um before i do i just want to say that the imposter syndrome has always been a topic at these um uh residentials that we've done in the past um and even kind of the conversations that take place afterwards and i'm sure joe would agree um that that she's had similar conversations it's just about that kind of feeling if you're in the right place or doing the right thing um so that, that's a big part of kind of being part of the community but what drew you to being a sunset practitioner researcher on the program there tracy well that's a really easy answer joe <laughs> So um, as a result of lockdown, so many positives from lockdown, um, I found myself in a space with um, <clears throat> some other FE educators of, well, you know, all, all hierarchy, 
um, although we don't have hierarchy in the group, um, most of them from the north of England. Um, I don't know why that was, but it just is. And they were talking, some of them, you know, about research that they were involved in. And some of it, you know, it was a bit like the imposter syndrome. Well, that's, that's not what I do. That's what really clever people do. I'm not saying you're not really clever, Jo, <laughs> just to endorse that. Um, so that I'm, my world was opened up to conversations around research. And then I did um, I did a, a little bit of research. I thought, oh, I want to find this out, um, the whole debate about cameras on and cameras off. So I just went on to Twitter and, oh, I'm LinkedIn, actually. And I carried out a little bit of research and it was fascinating. And I thought, Oh, this is quite interesting, really. And I've done some small amount of research in my teaching qualifications, which I'd thoroughly enjoyed. And so as a result of being in this space where it was talked about more openly and people were doing all different levels of research, um, and I was interested to know more and the opportunity came up and I thought, well, what's the worst that can happen? They can say, no, you can't. <laughs> so I had a go. And I was, uh, to say I was dead chuffed to, to get a place on the programme is the biggest understatement ever. Yeah, very excited to get onto that. So tell us a little bit about the, the research that you're kind of taking part um, with, with the Sunset programme at the moment then. Uh, like uh, at least a couple of others uh, on the programme, we're looking at digital teaching and learning or online, whatever terminology you want to use. But we've all got a slightly different angle. And to uh, for brevity, I'm really interested in the mindset of uh, educators. So what is it about certain educators who embraced the online world and thought, okay, yeah, with short notice, I think I had 48 hours to go online. And so in the early days, although I was familiar with Zoom, et cetera, so I wasn't so uncomfortable, it, it literally was a case of, you know, getting on and doing the best that you could. But very quickly, I opened my mind and I, I learned and I learned and I learned and I trialed different things and experimented. And I'm very comfortable. I get very good feedback from learners and observers. I don't say that to to toot my own, you know, trumpet horn. Come on, the, the correct uh, <laughs> phrases now. But I was interested to know. Well, what is it about the people like me, who who sort of get on and do it with really good results? And uh, okay, we can talk about what you know, the definition of results. Um, and those people who still maybe a year later we're not really accessing any different tools. So that that's where my interest um, was. And it wasn't in any way making a judgment. It was literally trying to understand um, first the opportunities that being online offers and what were those barriers, putting aside um, things like having enough, you know, kit and reliable, robust Wi-Fi, a comfortable place to work, et cetera, putting all that to one side, what were those barriers to us doing this well. And actually, you know, doing it well, what does that look like? What does that even look like? Yeah, there, there are way more questions than, than answers when you start to, to kind of dig into the digital side of things. But here's, here's a twist, Tracy, because you, you mentioned the, the barriers to obviously the, the online learning and teaching, but being a researcher in kind of normal times is, is difficult enough. So how did you find that during the a lockdown stage? 
I found it more difficult than I thought I would to get uh, teachers involved. So obviously I can't do the research (laughs) without some buy-in. And I don't know, and this is probably another discussion on its own, I don't know whether it's our perception, and I'm generalising here, of we are so busy because of what we are having to do. If I may be so bold, I don't think there is ever a year or a time when teachers would not be busy. So uh, yeah, that's been a big stumbling block. And it's harder because if you can go and see somebody face to face and chat about your research um, and just explain it. I mean, these were people originally who I had a relationship with. I wasn't just sort of you know spreading it across the whole college. Um, and I think in part, having talked to other people who've done research, it's not uncommon. It's not just because of COVID. So that was in itself a learning for me. And actually, other than that, it's fine. It's fine because it's, because it's so much part of the research. The fact that we're, I'm having to do it online is actually okay. And it gives you more opportunity because you can get people together irrespective of where they are. Um, you know, in a focus group very easily online. So I think in some ways it's an advantage. I do think it's a shame that we can't get together for the residentials because there's so much more that would come from those relationships if you were face-to-face. But it is what it is. And so we we do our best within the confines. No, that's that's great. And what you say about the, the residential is obviously important, that the informal side of it um, and the conversations that, that take place are a huge part of that, uh, being being part of the network um, that goes with it. Um, and of course, without that, we, we wouldn't have the podcast because I wouldn't have um, met Joe and spoken to Joe and, and had crazy ideas about recording shows, promoting research. Um, so what... <laughs> What can, what can you do with the research or what do you hope to be able to do with the research? Is, is there anything you can do with it to take back into the workplace? Yeah, I had, um, I had a few ideas. This is the wonderful thing about research, isn't it? First of all, you think I'm going to research X, Y, Z and very quickly you think, oh, actually, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this. <laughs> and this is the way that I'm going to do it. And I love, I love the way that, um, not throughout the whole programme or project, but I love that fluidity, which um, you're not anticipating. So I did have um, some of the things that I hoped it would inform in terms of the college that I mainly work for is establishing, I want to say establishing what good looks like, but I think that's impossible to do. So I'm working very closely with our Teaching Skills Academy and the head of digital to try and understand from their perspective what what are their objectives for the college. We don't actually have, um, I did talk to the principal before I um, put my submission in for Sunset and I was keen to know what our objectives were as a college in terms of teaching and learning. And I think because so much of it was so new, they are I'm not going to say they're vague, but they're still finding their way. So they're they're putting objectives and aims in place as we go to some extent. Um, I would like to, I mean, who am I to say this? But I would like it to form part of the PDP discussion on its own. So for us to reflect on our own digital skills. So aside from observations, when obviously somebody is observing how you're using them, you know, where do we think we are in terms of our journey with digital technology? 
Um, and perhaps, you know, how can we share that within the college? Is there a mechanism? You know, are we aware of it? Uh, the ones who are really keen, yes, we do leap onto all of the different forums where we can ask advice and then maybe share, answer other people's questions. Um, but a lot of people might not be aware of those things. So I think it's, I'm really big on collaboration and sharing and how can my research be used to maybe give, it's really good talking to you, it's like a coaching session, maybe to give people the confidence to try more things, not purely so they can say, oh, I've done X, Y, and Z at all, but so that they can enhance their, um, their, their teaching and hopefully uh, their learning as well uh, with their students. So does that answer your question? It does. And I'm starting to see some links between the imposter syndrome, in, the imposter syndrome sorry, and the, the crossover with that being in the digital environment as well, Tracy, in, in the things you were just saying there. That's a that's yeah that's really interesting that's really interesting yes absolutely I, I had a colleague once a lecturer colleague and she always used to say oh you know me Tracy I don't really do tech and then guess what last March <laughs> nobody could say I don't really do tech because you had to and you know that would have been and I don't say this lightly for different individuals and I've found even now it's nothing to do with age necessarily that's why the mind back to the mind again it's so powerful um it's interesting how some people have found it terrifying and that sounds as if i'm being dramatic but i'm not because of conversations that i've had so for some people it's pushed them massively out of their comfort zone. And then you, you know, you factor in the whole teachers always want to do their very best and conversely feel they're never <laughs> doing the best job they can. It's almost a recipe for disaster. So yeah. Yeah, good observation. I like that. Brilliant. Well, there we go. That that's really interesting. I'm I'm quite interested to see where you kind of take the research as well Tracy and I'll, I'll be following that one and and of course through the, the Sunset program uh, as well excellent well I'll hand over to Joe now for for you to uh, ask some questions Joe. okay so Heather um should we start by um thinking about back way back when when you thought I know what I'll do I'll do an education doctorate <laughs> so what motivated you to start and where are you kind of up to now um, well it started uh, quite a few years ago actually Joe. um in about 2014 I responded to Sai Lu at the then Institute of Education um, to participate in a collaborative research project involving teacher educators in FE, HE and with private training providers um, and about eight of us from across the country all volunteered and we were all co-researchers and research participants as well. And we were looking at the routes to becoming a teacher educator, the sort of knowledge that you draw on um, and, and how do you teach other people to teach um, and, and also how teacher educators viewed their some, themselves. Um, and the research took place over about 18 months um, using various different methods, um, interviews, survey, talking heads. Um, and, and this process really sparked my curiosity around research and the role of the teacher educator 
and how that role is frequently unintended and it can happen quite by chance. And also the fact that I held my own teacher educators in very high regard. Um, and I was interested in the impact of teacher educators on trainee teachers. Um, and, and just thinking about there had been research already into modelling um, by teacher educators um, from Pete Boyd and, and David Powell. And so this field of research was really opening up um, in the UK. Um, but I wanted to extend this and, and look further at, at modelling of values by teacher educators. So that's what got me started on the journey, Joe. Yeah. So, so you, I mean, you've just mentioned it there, and I know that that is your field of research, isn't it? It's, it's around values. So do you want to tell us a bit more about that? Maybe your kind of research questions, what, what you're actually seeking to find out? Yes. So um, my, my questions centre around what do teacher educators understand by values as part of the pedagogy of teacher education? And how do they model the teaching of values in their practice? And then how do the trainee teachers model values in their own teaching? And how does modelling by the teacher educators develop the, the sort of moral stance and the values of training teachers. So it's a sort of layered approach, really. Um, and it, it has involved following a cohort of trainee teachers um, over two years. So the, the trainees are um, HE in FE students. So they're enrolled on a university PGCE programme which is taught in an FE college. So I followed them for two years and I visited uh, quite a number of their classes over the two years and I've um, filmed, filmed the classes and then uh, done a focus group with the trainee teachers to find out what they noticed in that session. And then I've done stimulated recall interviews with the teacher educators, um, which, which is a really interesting way to research so that we watch the film together and then they pause the, the video when they recognize that they are modeling values. Um, yeah, so and I, I've done some interviews as well uh, to find out their sort of route into becoming teacher educators. Okay, so uh, so in terms of methods, is that is it's the stimulated recall? Do you say and the and the interviews as well? Yeah, so it's um, simulated video recall oh. interviews, um, and it's an participatory action research approach so i'm looking at um changing practice in the future um and sort of supporting teacher educators in their role in in the future okay so um are the is the cohort that you've been working with are they in the, their second year now or have they no done? they finished last summer so i was really fortunate in that i had done most of the research before covid mm. um i still had a couple of classes to to visit um 
and we managed to do that online and then a couple of focus groups to do and we managed to do that online as well so um yeah so they they've all qualified now right okay yeah so so have you got some kind of emerging findings then or you know key things that you um I don't know where you're at in, in terms of the writing up of your your research but you know other things you could share now about you know what you've learnt yeah I mean obviously I've got a lot of data and I've got a lot of analysis to do um but initial findings suggest that the teacher educator has a considerable impact on the trainee teacher in in terms of what they hold to be important as teachers and how they make decisions and judgments um within the teaching environment um and also that the teacher educator actually models values in multiple locations, if you like. So I quickly realised that it's not just in the classroom when they're teaching, but it's in all their communication with trainee teachers. And it's during observations, during tutorials, um, in emails, etc. Um, yeah, so interesting. It's just making me... Um rethink how I might have worded my last email yeah (laughs) yeah Uh, and also that trainee teachers values are influenced by their own biographies so most as you know most of the people that train to teach in FE have already had um, a career a profession or a trade before they come into teaching and so what they've done before is actually very influential on their values and how they are in the classroom. So, so that's been really interesting yeah. um, to find out. Yeah. So you mentioned before that you you hope to um, have an impact in terms of you know sharing that with other teacher educators so that they learn from your research. Have you have yeah. you started to do that already? Have you been writing in journals or presenting papers anywhere that kind of thing? I haven't written in journals um but I I think one of the joys um of being a researcher is that it opens up this whole other world that didn't exist for you before and you collaborate with others in a wider research community so um i came to you joe i think it was at the tell lsrn um, yes yeah and, and shared what i was doing um i've also presented at the Khan um conference which is the collaborative action research network Um, And I was involved in a a joint presentation at the um, Association for Teacher Educators in Europe at at their conference as well. Um, And so, yeah, it just opens up this whole world of collaboration with other researchers, which is really exciting. Mm. So we should say um, what those acronyms are. So you explained Khan and and Atti, as I call them, but tell other teacher educators in lifelong learning, aren't they? And the yes. LSRN is the Learning and Skills Research Network. So, so many acronyms. <laughs> always, always in FE. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay. So, thinking about you know what are the things we like to do on the podcast is um, break down some barriers and and you know in 
encourage people to think about engaging with practitioner research. So what would be your advice for those that are thinking of taking that step or getting involved or they've got, you know, an idea or a curiosity about something? So, you know, for those beginner practitioner researchers out there, what, what advice would you give? I think um, don't have imposter syndrome about it um, because I, I think people are frightened of engaging in research because because of there's an academic side to it you know that you you have to do some reading and and writing but don't let that put you off because actually you know anybody can do it it might take some people a bit longer Uh, it's a bit like running a marathon you know I firmly believe that despite major health concerns, anybody can do it, but it might just take you a bit longer than other people. Um, And and I think it's the same with research um, is, you know, I have a little post-it by my desk and it says, doubt kills more dreams than failure ever will. So just don't let that doubt come in, you know, you can do it. Um, And I think having Having a buddy, a research buddy is really helpful. So somebody to talk to, to offload to and and share, you know, the any issues that you might be having in your research. Those would be my top tips. Top tips. Thank you very much. That's brilliant. And I think that's a good a good place for us to end on. We're sort of going and rounded a circle there back to that imposter syndrome as well yeah. aren't we? um, thank you so much both of you for spending a bit of time with us I was keen to get you on here because in a way you both represent all the many different layers of practitioner research um, from a small project and doing a little poll on Twitter to you know a full-on doctorate and I think that's that's the kind of message we're trying to share as well that it isn't all about um you know studying at a university actually there's there's more to practitioner research than that so uh thank you um alistair do you want to say some thank yous i do you know i was i was a little bit stuck there i was um i was enjoying listening to everything to be fair and really appreciate talking to you both about this and uh, there's lots to take away and think about as well so thank you very much for joining us oh it's been a pleasure thank you for having us thank you very much goodbye You've been listening to the FE Research Podcast. You can follow the conversations on Twitter using the hashtag FE Research Podcast. Thanks for listening and hopefully you can join us again soon.